Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Light and Lion podcast. As always, I'm joined with my co-host, Dakota Jacobson. And Dakota, I gotta say, and you're gonna kill me for this, has anyone ever told you that you look exactly like Michael Schofield? I've uh, I've probably gotten that 10 times. Yeah, so, so only- enough to... Only enough 10? to take it. I think it's um. I, I think that Prison Break was a uh, was a like. I mean, it was popular in its time, obviously. But a lot of people, you ask them today, you know, if you've seen like Lost or something like that, and they're like, oh yeah, Lost. But Prison Break, they're like, well, I don't really remember that. So I think it was kind of a niche show. Um, yeah. But the people who have seen it, yeah, I've I've gotten that. Well, for our for our listeners, um, oh, it says host disabled participant screen sharing. I had a picture pulled up and everything. I was about to just show the world your twin here, but that's okay. For our listeners, Google Michael Schofield. Take a screenshot of Dakota. Actually, too, (laughs) I think this is the first episode we've recorded where you haven't been wearing a hat of some sort. Um, and I'll be honest with you, when I when we first logged on here, it was the haircut. I was like that. It's Michael Schofield with the hat. You don't get the vibe as much, but right. it's the haircut where it's you're. The, it's, it's probably like, the it's the haircut, and I shaved. Um, so I wanted to go for a uh, a rugged, you know, kind of inmate look for this episode. So yeah, like someone who wants to. Through. Yeah, someone who wants to go to prison to break out their brother. You know, that's all exactly those. Right. That's yeah. the exact vibe that I'm getting uh, from you right now. But anyways, all joking aside, um, super happy to be back in the quote unquote studio. And today we've got a very interesting, very serious topic. Um, courtesy of what is this girl's name? Hello, deconstructionist on Instagram. So Dakota, if you want to go ahead and pull up that uh, Instagram post, we're gonna give yeah. our reaction to it because it is a doozy for sure. Um, a couple things on this, real quick, as I'm pulling this up, it's funny because typically we'll go into these episodes and and we start with, oh, we're really excited to to jump into this topic today. This is not really one that I'm. I'll speak for myself. I don't think excited is the word. I think it's necessary and I think it's important. But I wouldn't exactly say that I'm excited to to dive into the topic of hell and you know how depraved we are. Again, it's important, but you know, it's tough. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Chris and Dakota coming to you from the future here. Uh, dropping into this episode real quick, just to clarify a couple of things. So in this episode, you're gonna hear us talk about total depravity and use that term uh, quite a bit. So one of the primary reasons that we're using that term is because the Instagram posts that we're responding to, it specifically uses that term. So it talks about hell and total depravity, that being something that freed them. Um, and, and as we get into the episode, you'll kind of understand more about what that means and, and how we sort of talk about the uh, the error of that view. So, um, but with that being said, the way that we're using, or the way that I'm using, I'll speak for myself, total depravity in this episode is specifically talking about how we as humans add nothing to salvation. So uh, salvation is completely a gift of God, 100% a gift of God um, that he deserves all of the credit, all of the glory for, and we as humans bring nothing to the table. So we're not talking about the soteriological aspect of total depravity, um, specifically kind of uh, classically, you know, the in the Calvinist or Reformed kind of uh, way. That's something that we will talk about on a future episode, but this is not that episode. Uh, we're talking about when we use the term total depravity, um, that we bring nothing to the table, that is all God. The only thing that we bring is our sin, and our desperate need for redemption. Um, hope that makes sense. Chris, do you have any kind of uh, additional thoughts or comments on that? 
yeah all i'd say is more specifically um you know kind of i know we want to stay away from the whole reformed calvinist deal because not everyone who listens to calvinist not everyone who listens is reformed and that is totally fine uh, but to get more specific when i say total depravity um what i'm meaning very specifically is not that human beings are as evil and as depraved as they possibly could be what i refer and this is really the view of the reformed camp is that when we say total depravity what we're meaning is is that man has fallen in his mind in his body and in his soul and the net consequence of that total depravity meaning it's all encompassing it's not talking about the magnitude of the depravity which a lot of people get that confused the net result of that is that we are unwilling and we are unable to have anything to do with god we don't want to know him we don't want to obey him we don't want to please him we don't want to enjoy him and that is really what the doctrine, at least from the Reformed kind of classic Calvinist perspective, that's what that doctrine means. It, uh, but like you said, in this episode, we're not really getting into things like the doctrines of grace. Uh, we are just talking about the fact that man, whether you want to call it total depravity or not, we all have to clearly see in Scripture that man is fallen and in desperate need of help. Um, Jonathan Edwards has this quote. He says, the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. And I think that's a really helpful and healthy way of looking at the doctrine of total depravity, like we're going to talk about in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that, uh, that clarification. Um, and, and again, just to, just to kind of make sure that we're all on the same page as we're kind of defining the terms here is that Total depravity. We're gonna. We're, the way we're using that in this episode is maybe a little bit different than the classical um, kind of definition of that. That is something that we're going to talk about on a later episode. That is not this episode. So I want to kind of reframe the way that we're using it just for this episode specifically, um, and, and kind of summarize that in: we bring nothing to the table but our sin, uh, and that salvation is completely a gift of God. Um, hope that clears things up. Uh, with all that being said, let's jump back in. This is also a. And this is something that we're still kind of working through and deciding if we're going to do this. But there's a few posts on, uh, or a few photos, I guess, in this post that all have some pretty uh, wackadoo theology. So things that we'll uh, want to respond to, but they each kind of could merit their own episodes in and of themselves. So, but yeah, be on the lookout for that because that could be coming soon. So let me go ahead and share this first post uh, from this. Okay, let's see. And as always, guys, we're we're trying a new. Uh, kind of format for this so if we run into some tech issues just give us a little bit of grace here so um okay chris you want to kind of uh give us some some insight into kind of what we're looking at here yeah well first i think it may, might be helpful if maybe some of our listeners or viewers are not familiar with that term deconstruction or deconstructionist i think we've probably mentioned it on the show a handful of times or kind of like in passing I think we brought it up on the episode that we did about doubt. Um, I could be wrong, but I mm -hmm. want to say that we brought up the term deconstruction before on the show. Um, but basically deconstruction, faith deconstruction is this very popular movement on – I'll call it a social media movement, but um, it's a very real movement in our day. And ultimately what it is is it's people who were most likely raised in or around the church. And as they grew up, they went to college, 
you know, a liberal college uh, in most cases, and then they start sort of questioning their faith, and then they realize, hey, this whole Christian worldview doesn't work for me and how I want to live. So they go through this process of deconstructing the faith. Now, I will say all deconstruction is not totally bad. I mean there are some things that we need to deconstruct and reconstruct in a biblical God-honoring way. But unfortunately, that's not the deconstruction movement that's so popular right now. It's people who are actually glorifying, breaking down doctrines um, in Scripture and, in effect, just outright rejecting them, as we're going to see in this post. And so, uh, like Dakota said, this is a multiple-part post. And for our listeners, we're going to try to do our best to describe what we're looking at if you guys aren't watching us. Um but ultimately, the post here says, what was the most freeing thing for you to leave behind as a deconstructionist, as the name would imply? And she says, for me, it was hell and total depravity. And so that's why Dakota said it's very almost kind of upsetting that we have to make this sort of episode where we are talking about two essential Christian doctrines. And we're ultimately going to have to argue for their validity, which is really sad because without hell and total depravity, if you take those two things, we're not really talking about Christianity anymore. We're talking about some made-up religion that satisfies um, you know, a broken humanity's fleshly desires. So that's kind of my opening thoughts. I mean, what, what do you think when you first see this? Yeah, I know something that we've talked about before uh, in past episodes is this idea of, of deconstruction. You know, kind of going back to this person's uh, tag, I think that I used to have kind of really up until recently would would agree with the the notion that I heard from some people that deconstruction is not always a bad thing, and and I would still agree with that to a sense. But Chris, I think you kind of we we're talking about this. I believe it was maybe just on a phone call, and I think it was on an episode maybe a few weeks back, and you were saying that you were talking to a pastor or mentor friend. And they basically were saying something to the effect of the danger of using that word is that if you don't have the time or space to qualify or give context to what you're saying, it could lead to confusion because of the understanding of what deconstruction is. And so I, I totally agree with that. And obviously with things like this, we want to play it safe. If you only have a 30 second time frame to talk about something like deconstruction, you want to use a different word because to say deconstruction can be a good thing and then you get you know cut off and the person walks away thinking, okay, that could be a good thing. Obviously, that's dangerous and we don't want to think about it that way. So at the same time, we do want to make sure that we're not just holding fast to traditions. We want to hold fast to the word of God. So it is important to take a step back and think, okay, some of the things that I'm believing or some of the things that I've been holding to, are they rooted in scripture or are they rooted in things that I've just grown up doing? You know, my church has said to do this. Is that is that backed up by scripture? And those things in and of themselves are not bad to to consider and make sure that we are always in alignment with scripture. That's the ultimate goal is to make sure that all that we're doing, all that we're thinking, our thoughts and our actions are in alignment with with scripture. And that'll obviously sanctification will lead to us having a better understanding of of those things as well. Going to to something like this, when I see a post like this, it says, for me, you know, the most freeing thing for you to leave behind was hell and total depravity. The word freeing here is essentially, I would equate this to sticking your head in the sand because something can be freeing um, in a sense as you're, you know, obviously to, as believers, the idea of, for anybody, but especially as believers, knowing that these things are true, the idea and the the concept of of eternal separation from God 
um, internal torment is a horrendous thing, right? There's no, there's no getting around that. There's no, you know, there's no way around that. It's it's an awful thing. Nobody wants to think about it. Even as believers, we don't want to think about it, even though we know that we're saved from that. It's still not something that we want to think about. At the same time, it's important for us to understand and know that just because we don't like the truth or just because we don't believe something does not mean that it's not true. And I think that's something that's really been lost in our culture is thinking that with this whole notion or idea of I can define my truth, you can, to an to a sense, or you know, to a certain degree, you can establish what you believe to be true in your lifetime, and you can set up things in your world to match those things, right? But when it's all said and done, when you're on your deathbed and you take your final breath, what you believe to be true doesn't really matter anymore. What I believe to be true doesn't really matter anymore. At the end of the day, there is an objective truth, and regardless of what you or I believe, truth is truth. Um, and so I think that's kind of my first thing that I see with that. Uh, is is that's kind of what jumps out at me is is the this entire rejection of objective truth that we've seen really in this deconstruction movement. Yeah, well, and I think too, there's a little bit of irony here in in the word selection, saying this is what most freed me up, and I would actually argue, uh, based on what God's word says, is that this person is actually not being freed from anything. If anything, they're being held more in bondage than what they were previously. They're not being freed up. Now, if you are talking about freedom in the sense of, you know, freedom to live the way that you want, sure. Yep. This, you know, leaving these types of doctrines behind would be really freeing. If I didn't believe in hell and I didn't believe that I am as wicked as scripture tells me that I am, then sure, I I would be freed up to do a lot of stuff, right? But what are we talking about when we're talking about freedom? And so I think I, I want to be careful to not impose my opinion on what she means by free, but it's just something to think about. But sort of as we're talking here, um, just kind of, again, talking about the whole notion of the bad form of deconstruction. I know, Dakota, you said we want to be careful using those terms, but it made me think of uh, Romans 1 where Paul – he's talking about idols, but I think – like I said earlier, people are idolizing this wave of deconstructing their faith. And um, but what Paul has to say about idols, he says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Um, and they exchanged the glory of God for images resembling mortal man. So that's where he's talking about the actual physical idols that they were making. But that first part, basically verse 22, where it says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. I think that summarizes pretty well what's going on in the deconstruction movement. These people think that they're being liberated from oppressive and outdated and antiquated theology, but really what they're doing is they're becoming foolish because you can't call yourself a Christian and at the same time reject the teachings of Jesus and the testimony of the rest of Scripture, and that's exactly um, what is going on in this post. And Paul says a couple of verses later, um, therefore God gave them up to lust of their heart, basically. And that's what we see a lot of times in deconstruction. We see, um, you know, basically a debasement of the mind, right? Mm -hmm. Like these, these people, um, th they start believing the lie that they've really been set free. And I would say that that is a lie that is crafted very carefully by the devil, um, crafting this, you know, false sort, false sense rather, of freedom. You know, scriptures say that the devil disguises himself as an angel of light. Well, that's what I see going on when we're talking about, oh, well, I'm being set free by rejecting major doctrines of Christianity. 
You know right. what I mean? And think about too, like, you know, talking about that verse about the angel disguise or the devil disguising himself as an angel of light. I mean, how do we think that the devil is going to try to dupe people, right? Do we think that it's going to be effective for him to walk into a room glowing red with horns and a pitchfork, right? I mean, because obviously that would be, you know, no one, no one's going to want to follow that, but to inject because he, the, he, the devil is crafty, right? So to inject this kind of doubt into somebody and make them think, well, you don't have to believe that, you know, and think about how much easier your, your worldview would be if hell didn't exist. Think about how, you know, the, the life that you could live, think about the things you could engage in. Uh, so this, yeah, this notion of hell, it really makes your, I mean, just like so many of these core doctrines that we talk about, how much easier it is to, if we cast off these doctrines and, and how easy it is to, like, to, to your worldview suddenly is so easy. I'm just going to say that if hell doesn't exist, it makes life so much easier because you can truly just let everyone do what they want to do, live and let live. You know, what's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me. And it seems to be the most loving and most kind and gracious thing. I heard an illustration recently that that I thought was was really good. And Chris, I'm sure you've probably heard this before, but it's kind of this idea of, you know, people are always saying things like, don't shove the Bible down my throat, or I don't want to hear that stuff. I don't want to hear about Jesus and and all that. And I don't want to hear about hell, especially. People don't want to hear about hell. But it's like the notion of of or the idea of of if you have a, you know, if you have a child or if you see a child running into the street and you see a truck coming and you start screaming at that child to get out of the street, or you run and you tackle that person who doesn't have to be a child to anybody, um, you know, and and th- that that person could then you know, turn around and be like, oh, why are you screaming at me? Or I don't, I don't want your, you know, yeah, I don't want your, you know, people have said that this concept of hell was created by the church and, you know, the year 1000 to try to control people and scare them into, you know, submission. It's like for, for me to yell at somebody to get out of the street is not me threatening or trying to scare you into submission or trying to control you. It's me trying to quite literally save your life. And, if we take this notion of hell or this, you know, the reality of hell and that elevates it to like a hundred times because as real as that truck is, is a reality of hell for everybody who, you know, I mean, the, the, the stats on death are pretty remarkable for every person that has ever been born. There has been a person that has died. So it's, it's pretty incredible. Those numbers. So if you're alive now, there's a very good chance that you're going to die. And when you die, going back to that reality of objective truth, there's, somewhere that you are going to go, um, whether you want to believe it or not. Um, I want to touch on a, a couple quick things real quick. I know I've been going for a minute, but I think in that post, it's easy, easy to see total depravity and kind of have a misconception of that. So I want to make sure that for anybody who's listening, who does not hold to the a Calvinist or Reformed you know, uh, mentality of things, and obviously that's something for for a different conversation. Obviously, Chris, you and I are a little bit, um, you know, we have different views on on some of those things, but and I'm sure we'll have an episode on that in the future and that'll be fun. But I think we can all agree that, that we are depraved, that in and of ourselves, we are wicked, we are sinful. And if not for the grace of God, we would not have any awareness or understanding of just how sinful and how messed up we truly are. Um, We deserve zero credit for our salvation, I think is what it ultimately comes down to. Anybody who thinks that we can add anything to it or that we get even 0.0001% 0.0001% of credit for our salvation. Um, I would say open the Bible 
and uh, and you'll see very quickly that that is not in fact the case. Um, but I'll jump off uh, my soapbox now on that one. No, I love that, but I do want to rewind a little bit because you said something earlier, and this thought just popped into my head when you were talking about you know people don't want the Bible crammed down their throat, and really the mentality in the West. I can't really speak to other parts of the world because I'm not that well traveled. And I haven't, you know, uh, studied anthropology that well, so I don't know other cultures. But it seems in the West that it's definitely we are the epitome of like post enlightenment, um, you know, individualism and those sorts of things where man has essentially been deified. And I think you said something to the effect of like live and let live, or I'm going to do what I want to do, and mm-hmm. and and that's what I wanted to touch on because to me that just shows like the irony and like the hypocrisy of that whole worldview, because if if that's really how morality should work, right, is what's right to me is right to me, what's right to you is right to you, how are you going to tell someone that they shouldn't kill or they shouldn't rape, right? Like, who are you? Are you the ultimate arbiter of truth? Like, no, none of us are the ultimate arbiter of truth. That's God's job, right? And I just wanted to touch on that because the, the hypocrisy to me is so blatant. And people don't like hearing about hell and depravity because it affects their sensibilities, right? Like it affects their comfort and how they feel about themselves. And anyways, I just think it's kind of hypocritical for them to say, well, what's right to me is right to me. And what's right to you is right to you. Unless what's right to you offends me, then it's not right at all, right? So yeah. anyways, I just wanted to kind of touch on that. But kind of getting into this whole notion of should we as Christians – you know, basically what this post is seeming to imply is that we should be rejecting hell, right? And we should be rejecting this doctrine of total depravity. And Dakota, you're right. I'm looking forward for us having that conversation about our views because I think that's going to be a great episode, uh, truth be told. But I don't know, Dakota, if you can share this article or if maybe I can share this article. Um, Let me try to get it up of, here. Of Mr. Ehrman here. Apparently I've uh, locked you out of being able to share your screen. So uh Yeah, I think that's a setting. We we can we can worry about it for next time. For sure. Um I, I'm not sure how to fix that. But yeah, so let's let's pull up this article here. Yeah. Uh because th- this really I think does a great job at summarizing. So yeah, that line right there. So basically here's the um the, the summary of what this article is talking about. It's um titled What Jesus Really Said About Heaven and Hell. And so basically he's saying that most Christians and really most religions, they do believe that there is a literal heaven and a literal hell. Um, and so right here, the the top sentence, it's saying the vast majority of these people naturally assume that this is what Jesus himself taught, meaning that heaven and hell are literal physical places where people go after they die. And then he goes on to say, but that is not true. Pretty bold claim. Uh, neither Jesus nor the Hebrew Bible, i.e. the Old Testament. Um, that Jesus interpreted endorsed the view that departed souls go to paradise or everlasting pain. So I want us to look at this, and um, we we can probably talk about countless uh, Bible verses, right? We can point to a scripture where Bart Ehrman is just outright contradicting um, th- what the text says. And I'm sorry, uh, Dr. Ehrman, but I've got to go with scripture on this one, <laughs> not not your uh, super biased skeptical worldview. Um, so in terms of is is it a physical place? Um, is it true that the Old Testament, you know, Old Testament Israel, did they believe 
that it wasn't a literal place. And I have to say that that, that can't be the case. If you go to Second Samuel 12, 23, this is David talking about his uh, deceased child. This is what King David has to say. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. I don't know about you, Dakota, but I would assume that if I'm going somewhere, that implies that there is a physical location that I'm going to. And it also um, – the, the fact that he's planning on seeing someone, someone very specific. David's planning on seeing his son in this location, right? So if death is all there is, I don't know why David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would say, I'm going to go to my son who's deceased, Yeah. right? So, so uh, we've already uh, – We've already disproven Barterman there, right? So let's fast forward now to the New Testament. Let's see here. Uh, just off the top of my head, what did Jesus say to the, the thief on the cross? Today, mm. you will be with me in, what does he say? Paradise. Paradise. You know, so um, needless to say, we've just totally dismantled Barterman's entire article with two verses. And there's countless more, right, where we can look where Jesus outright describes the horrors of hell, and Jesus does talk about heaven. Um, and now I I know in the Reformed camp there's this claim that Jesus talks way more about hell than he does heaven. I don't know if that's true or not. I've never looked statistically speaking to see if that's true. I've heard that saying a lot, but I've also seen people push back, so I don't want to definitively say one way or the other. But it's an irrefutable fact that Jesus does talk about hell. He describes it as a place of outer darkness. He describes it as a place um, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's irrefutable that Jesus believed in a physical place. Jesus told his disciples, don't fear man who can destroy the body, but fear God who destroys both the body and the soul in hell. So Jesus believed that this is a real place, right? So um, I, I – I don't see how we as Christians can reject a doctrine that Jesus so clearly communicates to us and still say, yes, I'm a Christian. Right. You know, because, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I mean, I was just thinking like I, I was listening to a podcast recently and they, they brought up something that I'd never really thought about, but it made a lot of sense. So I think when we think about the, this idea or when we, you know, when we think about hell, we all, we often have like, it's like the darkness and the light, right? We think of heaven and we think of hell. We think that those are, are, you know, essentially like counterparts. So we have, you know, they're, they're in opposition to one another, right? So it's, you know, they're, they're two equally valuable or value, uh, equally powerful, like entities kind of colliding at the same time though. I think it's interesting when we look in the Bible, there's a lot more talk about heaven and earth than there is about heaven and hell. And I think that the issue is that we have a incorrect understanding of both heaven and hell, right? We think about heaven and we think about, uh, you know, floating on clouds. We think about a eternal uh, church service. You know, things like that. Obviously, that could be a whole other episode in of itself, as having a proper view of of heaven and and just the incredible, you know, just the splendor and the the unbelievable, incomprehensible, inconceivable, just awesome. You know, what what that is going to be, right? It's going to be something that I, I promise you're going to want to be there. It's not going to be boring. I guarantee you that. Um, the Bible is very clear on that. So, but at the same time, I think we also have an incorrect view of hell. And if you ask a lot of people in the culture today, they'll say something like, well, I'd rather be, you know, in hell, you know, drinking beers with my buddies than, you know, sitting on a cloud in heaven. Obviously there's a lot wrong with that. And people that typically say that they're saying that, you know, kind of in jest and kind of jokingly, but at the same time, I think it's important for us to understand that 
James 1, 17, every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every single good gift is a gift from God. You having fellowship with your friends uh, is a good gift from God. Yeah, having... people. Yeah, 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 I was just, I was just gonna say, people outright are. I don't want to say reject. I think a lot of people are just outright oblivious to the doctrine of common grace. Yeah, uh, God makes the rain fall on the just and the yep. unjust. You know, forty-five. Yeah, yeah. It's not just the righteous. It's not just the adopted sons and daughters of God who get nourishment, right? Actually, in this life, it would appear that it is the wicked who, you know, they get their fill of food, they get their fill right. of riches and material wealth and all that sort of stuff. That's right. because God's trying to detach us from this world. So we long for heaven, right? And again, probably an episode by itself. Yeah. But um, yeah, I totally agree with you that people just take for granted. I, um, I think there was a video that I reacted to a while back, Sam Harris, and he basically equates um, – he doesn't say this, but he's basically equating hell to like a hot desert, right? And I, I kind of made the joke in my reaction that he's basically equating it to a summer in Arizona um, is what hell is like for Sam Harris. But Jesus's language on it is not – it's not some sort of place where it's like, yeah, you'll go to hell and like you said, crack crack open a few beers with your buddies and y'all sit around and do whatever debauchery you want and you don't have to worry anymore about god it says right. that god is going to absolutely destroy the body and soul in hell and um i don't know Th that language is pretty forceful it's not like a nonchalant well it's going to be heaven or you know heaven's going to be mm -hmm. nice and fluffy feelings and then hell it's just, just going to be the real hardcore. Yeah. The, the real, yeah. uh, the, the partiers and the, yeah. yeah. It's going to be like the P it's, it's going to be like a, a purge night, except you can't die <laughs> because right. it's, you know, but purge night in the sense of everything goes right. There's no more morality. You can do whatever crazy desires that your little wicked heart can fathom. You can do it in hell and you don't have to worry about punishment. But the thing about hell is it is a place of God's unbridled punishment for all of eternity. And the thing is as well, I, I think it's worth mentioning people because this is where people want to reject the doctrine of hell. They don't see how a merciful God could send anyone to hell. And I think, Dakota, you got a video um, that, that we can watch on this where basically the guy being interviewed, he kind of mockingly says, you know, the merciful God of Christianity. And I think what people need to realize is that God is merciful. The fact that he has saved a single one of uh, humanity by the blood of his son, that's mercy because he would have been totally right to just send us all straight to hell and allowed us to be punished for our sins for eternity. But that wasn't what God wanted, right? Right. Um, yeah, before, before I jump into this video yeah, too, real quick, because I, I think that is that is crucial and kind of going going back real quick to this the notion of of heaven and earth being essentially counterparts in in or kind of you know in those are discussed more frequently than than heaven and hell in the same you know verse and i think that we need to understand first and foremost we need to understand the severity of our sin and i think that that is one thing that our culture if you know we keep talking on the culture but i think both the culture and both you know believers as well i don't think we fully truly understand the magnitude and the severity of our sin. You know, when we can when we take a moment to to seriously kind of meditate on the reality of what Jesus suffered and went through because of our sin, we can at least start to have a little bit of a picture of 
of the consequence of it, of what he endured for us. But we're still not even able to to even get close to comprehending the just how much God despises and how much he hates sin. And I think when we view sin as first and foremost, you have to understand that there is sin. If you don't believe that anything can be sin or that we're just floating cosmic colliding stardust, then I was gonna say real quick, give it yeah. give us a definition of sin. Just if some of our listeners maybe don't know what sin is, like Ooh. from a from a I mean, I don't have a dictionary definition, but I would say that a sin is def- is is any affront to God and any affront to his uh to to his the way that he has structured things to be, his perfect structure, um, essentially. So anything that is against the will of God. Um, I think that's probably a one sentence definition. But and, and really what we need to understand is a sin is a disease. It's a disease that is that is killing us from the inside out. And so I think if we can think of earth as you know, because we really see more so this picture of of earth being renewed and being cleansed and the new earth, right? So the new heavens and the new earth. And so if there is the presence of sin, then something cannot be perfect. If there's the presence of something, uh, you know, of a disease, if we're going to go back to that, you know, kind of imagery of, of a disease, right? We just came out of this pandemic, or I guess still coming out of it. But so we all we're very familiar with this idea of a disease and a virus and quarantine and things like that. So if there is a disease and we're dying from it, essentially what we have is the cure, right? Jesus has given us the cure by his death on the cross, by his resurrection, and he is giving us this, the cure for the disease that we have of, of sin that leads to death. And so we can choose to receive that, the cure or not. And for those that have received the cure, they are not cured and they will have eternal life with Christ. For those who reject the cure, God cannot allow you to remain in this in this place of perfection um, or what will be perfection, right? And so, because that would immediately taint it, just like the idea of if you put a, a poisonous M&M in a bowl full of M&Ms, even if only one of them was poisonous, you're not going to stick your hand in and, you know, take some because of the chance, the slim chance that there is poison in that. There cannot be any pollution in perfection. And so, so there has to be separation right there has to be a quarantine there has to be a a, a chasm essentially so yeah. well, if you're gonna reject the the cure then you have rejected it of your own volition yeah and i i think too it we should probably go ahead and tie in like how total depravity we've kind of mentioned it already um how total depravity and hell are related right uh, i think it's really important for the listener to understand and we could unpack this in depth, but it would take us a long time. But it's important at a high level for the listener to understand that according to our depravity, and if you don't know what total depravity is, a real good summary of it is Romans 5.12, where basically – well, basically, I'm actually going to cite two verses for you. So Romans 5, then we'll go back to Romans 3. So Romans 5.12 says, um, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And then we go backwards a little bit to Romans three, where Paul he is citing Romans fourteen or uh, excuse me Psalm fourteen. He says, "None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one." So what we are saying when we say total depravity is that we are saying that man is totally incapable of pleasing God, 
And not just that he's incapable, it's that man has no desire, and that is crucial. And this is where I think a lot of people push back on you know, uh, kind of the reformed uh, camp. And again, that's not what this episode's about, but people push back because they just think God uh, takes people kicking and screaming to heaven or sends people to hell who really wanted to go to heaven. What the doctrine of total depravity says is it's not just about inability. It's about lack of desire. So when God comes in and he regenerates us and renews our spirit… We act out of our free will volition because God has healed our free will volition. Before that happens, believe it or not, we want to go to hell. That's going to sound crazy to some of our listeners, but if I am a dead uh, in my sins um, you know, individual, right? I'm a sinner, and I love sin, the worst possible place for me to be would be in the presence of a holy God. I would not want – that would be hell to me. If I love my sin and I don't want to depart from my sin, to have to stand in the presence of a holy and righteous God whose glory we can't even – like if God showed us his glory right now, we'd be uh, just eviscerated, right? We could not stand. That's why we have to have glorified bodies when we go to heaven. If I love my sin more than I love God, which is our natural state, going to heaven would be hell. Right, But thanks be to God, that's not how it is. He has decided to take away our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, a heart in which he wrote his new covenant upon in the blood of his son. And so I think when people start saying, well, I want to reject hell and I want to reject total depravity, realize that you're not a Christian, and that sounds harsh, but you are, you are outright rejecting Christianity. If there's no hell and there's no total depravity, Jesus is a savior of no one because nobody needs saving. If there's no punishment for sin and we're not totally depraved like the Bible teaches, there's the gospel is utterly useless to us. So you're not a Christian. I'm, I'm sorry uh, if that comes across as insensitive, but that's kind of the reality. Yeah, and I want to emphasize again too on that, and and I've mentioned this a little while back, but you know, and, and I don't I don't hold to the reformed theology, but. I will say that I, I am 100% in agreement with what Chris just said. If if there's any portion of of us that thinks even an inkling, even 1%, even 0.00001% that thinks that we have done something to merit salvation or we have done something to earn it, um, then I, I would seriously, seriously caution you to, uh, or, or just challenge you to open your Bible um, and, and just you know, really dig into the Gospels, dig into Romans. It's very clear uh, that yeah. that it is by God's grace. And whether you, you know, throwing terms in in you know the, you know, vocab and all the these fancy words out the window, I think we can all agree, and we can all see in our in our own lives that for those of us who have been saved, for those of us who have believed, that it was not because we just one day decided that the light bulb came, you know, that we decided, oh, you know what? I guess that, you know, you're reading a book and you're like, hmm, I guess if I, you know, want to think through this, you know, logically and and I want to kind of reason this and, you know, the the all that, I guess that makes the most sense. And I guess I'll submit to God and, and his, you know, his lordship and his, and that's just one day you were, so your eyes were opened. And you were receptive to the truth of the of the gospel. It's going to look different for everybody. Obviously, the the testimony you know is going to be different, but the, you you having your eyes open to the truth of the gospel is a gift. Um, and I'll, I'll leave mm. it at that. And let's let's um let's jump into this video. Uh, I'm just going to kind of just headline real quick. It's 
Chris and I both kind of had the, the same sort of, you know, I, I guess our reaction to it was was like visceral. Um, I think that's probably the best word. I think we both use that word to to describe it because it's it's alarming, uh, it's jarring, it's it's tough. I'm just gonna play it. Um, and if there's, I don't think there's any uh, cursing in this snippet. If there is, I'll uh, I'll bleep it out. Um, but let me go ahead and share my screen here, and then I'll uh, I'll react to it because I definitely have some thoughts. Let me fix my screen here. See the tech. Tech is uh, is failing us. Okay. Um, and this is a a video by the Young Turks who have uh, 5.3 million subscribers on YouTube. Another Young Turks guy in the Huffington Post and Jezebel people. Uh, well, they did not dance in the way that I liked. They didn't dress in the way that I liked. They didn't have the opinions that I liked. And so they greatly offended me. Even though I'm master of the universe, uh, my feelings were hurt by the Young Turks. So I will tor uh, torture them eternally in hell. They will roast over an open fire for eternity. That's a very lovely thought from the merciful God that you have, right? And so my theory is that uh, as soon as we die, poof, we're gone. Gonzo. Okay. Now, those are both theories. I could be right. You could be right. <laughs> Good luck with that. But here's what we do know. We know what's happening in this life. And in this life, we're actually having fun. We lead happy lives. We're, you know, and we are bringing facts to people, whether it's math, whether it's science, whether it's politics. We tell you what the truth is, what the facts are. And you play Dungeons and Dragons. And in your Dungeons and Dragons and your mythology about Beelzebub and Lucifer and all the things he's going to do to you in a different life, in a different existence, on a different plane, in a different universe. Well, meanwhile, you are wasting your life. Okay. Um, so there's a lot, to, a lot to unpack there. I think the first thing that jumps out at me, and, and I've watched that a couple of times now, I think is, is kind of like the last thing he said. So he said, you're wasting your life. He said, meanwhile, while you're focused on, you know, while you're focused on the, this next life, this next universe or whatever, and obviously there's a, an air of, of, you know, just arrogance and, and, you know, try, trying to make everything into some massive joke. Um, unfortunately, it's not going to be a joke uh, when, when we take our last breath. Um, but I will say, on that, ask anybody who is who has truly surrendered their life to Christ, who had previously lived in the way that they wanted to live, uh, which is truly all of us. But obviously, depending on you know the the age that you you have you know surrendered your your life to Christ, and and um, you know that's going to look different. Obviously, for some of us, if we were younger, maybe we didn't have this lifestyle of of years and decades of partying and and you know substance abuse and things like that. Everyone has a different story, but ask anybody who has maybe had that, you know, experience of, of you know, engaging in all of the, the drugs, the alcohol, the partying, the sex, all of that that they wanted to, who has now received the gift of grace, freely given by Christ, and is now living the the new life that you know that that He enables us to live, that He gives us. Ask them when they were having more life. Ask them when they were feeling more free. Ask them when they felt like they were uh, providing more value to their families, to their friends, to their communities. Um, you know, ask them which one of those was life. Because he's saying you're wasting your life. I would say that that 100% of those people would say that they did not find life, and this is biblical that they did not find life until they until they found found Christ, 
until Christ revealed himself to them. Um, and so I think that that's the first thing. Second thing is when we think about this, he touched on, you know, oh, you're merciful. God is a lot of people deal with, or they struggle with this idea that God can be, can have wrath and can also be merciful. I would challenge that and say that, that God can't be merciful without wrath. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of contextualize or clarify that by, by sort of saying that our, our world is clamoring for hell. It's, it's longing for, for, for hell because our world is clamoring for justice. If we look at our entire world, anytime there's any kind of injustice, any kind of um, atrocity, any kind of, you know, despicable act, we want there to be justice. We, we long for it. People take to the streets to, you know, to, to, they march for justice, right? I mean, that's something that we see and we've seen even more prevalently within the last few years. Um, but people long for justice. And what I would, you know, what I would challenge really the, the the listener to think is is to understand if we're viewing, you know, if we're viewing sin as um as devastating and as much of a affront to a holy God as it truly is, then there has to be a punishment for that sin. Um, just like mm-hmm. we wouldn't want the, you know, it always goes back to the Nazis, but just like we wouldn't want these soldiers that were in these concentration camps to get off scot-free, we want justice. And that's just, that's really is what hell is. Hell is is basically the, because we're all sinners, we're all totally depraved, we're all totally against God, enemies of God. Um, before you know, before we receive that that gift of grace, there has to be, there has to be punishment. So we can either choose to allow our sin to be paid for on the cross, or we can choose to pay for that sin ourselves. And that's really the ultimate. Uh, kind of option that we have there, you know, really. Um, so I think that that the the justice of God really highlights the mercy of God. Yeah, totally. When it also shows that God's not willing to compromise. You know, he's not, God is not a corrupt judge sitting in heaven, arbitrarily handing out free passes and taking bribes under the table. He's not compromising his holy character. And I definitely have some thoughts. I mean, I, I really struggled the first time I watched that video, mainly because I was trying to process what he was saying. I think watching it the second time it was more affecting to me because I've already seen it once. And to, to, to now know what he's saying and to really kind of process what he's saying, I have a couple of thoughts. First, he says, we're focused on the here and now. We're we're having fun. you know. We're living it up. What I would say is explain to me then suicide. Explain to me teenagers and kids killing themselves, right? Explain that to me. Seriously, if we're all just having a good old grand time, explain to me suicide. Explain to me rape. Explain to me war. Explain to me murder. If all we're doing down here on earth and here and now is just having a grand old time, explain those things to me in a way that doesn't have to borrow from the morality that God has written on your heart. You can't do it. That That's an impossible ask, right? And I ask it because I know it's impossible. You can't do it. And I, I don't know this guy. I don't listen to the Young Turks, and after that clip, I'll certainly never listen to him again unless we're reacting on yeah, here. Yeah, I don't recommend it. I don't recommend um, it. Yeah, and let, if you want to keep your brain cells, um, I would, would advise um, you know against that. But 
one thing I can kind of see, and again, I don't know this guy, don't know his official worldviews and those sorts of things. I'd be willing to bet that he's an atheist. Even further than that, I'd be willing to bet that he is a nihilist. And actually, in fact, I know he's an atheist because he says when you die, nothing happens. And he's a nihilist in that, well, if when you die, nothing happens, that means that everything you do in this life is ultimately meaningless because there's no ultimate justice. There's no ultimate punishment for what you do. You use the example of not, you know, Hitler and the Nazis, right? How could a person go through their day to day thinking that Hitler just got off scotch free by killing himself? And there, he didn't have to answer to anybody. He just got off scotch-free. He did his damage, and then he said, okay, my work here is done. I'm calling the shots now. I'm I'm out of here. Like could, could a sane, rational person say that in any way that that is just? Absolutely not. You'd have to be a lunatic right, to, to make that sort of statement. And then I, I want to move on because I know we're going kind of long. But on the whole merciful God comment, he – He's kind of making some jokes, right? He's like, oh, well, the Young Turks, they don't dress the way that I like, and they said some things that offended me even though I'm the master of the universe, whatever. Um, and then he says your merciful God is going to roast you over, over an open fire in hell, which of course is a caricature of what actually goes on in hell. It, it's far worse, I promise you, than being roasted over an open fire. As horrible as that sounds, hell's going to be infinitely worse than that. And I'm just kind of piggybacking off of what you said, Dakota, a holy and – a holy God is completely justified in punishing even the smallest of offenses. It doesn't matter if that offense is taking God's name in vain. He is justified to punish you. And people say, well, eternity sounds like in hell. That sounds a little bit harsh. Well, the thing is, is God is eternal. That means that his character and his nature is eternal. His holiness is an, is an eternal holiness. God didn't become holy. He is holy, right? So when you offend an eternally holy God, the punishment Jesus says that when uh, he you know he gives this parable right uh, of paying back our debts and he says you're not going to get released until you've paid back the very last penny. Well, what happens when the the debt that you owe is an eternal debt? You're not getting out. You're going to keep paying that debt every well. There's not day and night in, in eternity, but for the sake of yeah. the illustration, you know uh, I'm on a roll here, so I'm just going to go with it. Day and night, you are going to pay that debt because that's what you owe. And um, the the last thing here, and and then we can move on, is we all want justice. I would be willing to bet you that that the guy from the video that we just watched, if you set before him a convicted serial killer or a convicted child molester, he would want justice. He would want that man. Um, to go to prison and and for justice to be served. But the thing about atheism is is that they want justice until justice comes looking for them, and then all of a sudden they don't want it anymore. It's fine when somebody else is getting the speeding ticket, but when the cop pulls you over, all of a sudden the cop is a pig, and and it's unfair. He shouldn't have pulled you over, right? And that is the worldview of the atheist, and I think that's so important, and that's why we're talking about this topic today. Because if you start rejecting things like hell and total depravity, you're a hop, skip, and a jump away from atheism. I'll just say it because you're not going to have an authentic religion if there is no justice um, and and there's no punishment for offending an eternally holy God. Yeah, and I think too, like going back to, you know, again, like we always use the, uh, I say we, not you and I, but but our society always uses like the Nazis, right, as like the the worst evil. Um, 
and they were truly, truly a horrendous, horrific, atrocious, horrible, horrible, uh, you know, time. Um, but I think it's a lot of people, they have convinced themselves, maybe they believe that, that heaven and hell are real, but they believe that, that they're not bad enough to merit or to warrant going to hell. And they think, oh, well, I, I'm not Hitler. I haven't murdered six million people. I haven't murdered. I'm not anybody. Ted Bundy. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> murdered. Ted I haven't, Bundy. You know, I haven't murdered anyone. You know, I I don't deserve to go to hell. I've done some stuff. You know, maybe I've said some lies or I've done some things. And, um, but I think it goes back to that that issue of, of depravity and understanding that sin is a disease, and that we were born into this diseased state. Um, and I think we touched on this maybe in the first or second episode that even if you don't believe in the the notion of original sin. Have you sinned? Okay. Well, then it's a moot point. It doesn't, you know, um, not that it doesn't matter. It does matter. But for the sake of the argument here, if you have sinned, then it, you know, you're you're in a diseased state um, without the cure. I think, you know, you hear good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. Um, there is there is no one good. Jesus is the only good one. So there are going to be many people who are who are not good who are going to be in heaven. Um, it's only not of, good people. It's only not good people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone except for Jesus is, right. you know, um, because of grace. Grace would not be grace if we were able to to contribute anything to our grace, right? And then it would just be our, our wages. And we know the wages of sin is death, um, you know. And so mm. if if I was to, if if I was deserving of heaven, then I think it's I want to say maybe it's Romans eleven six. Um, I believe it says this: if 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 not by grace, then grace no longer is. It ceases to be grace if it's by by merit. Um, yep. Something else too that I thought about is that this notion of you talked about you know this eternal punishment because I've had people ask me before, well, how is that just or how is that you know fair. how is that That's fair the that, word. that how is that fair that that I would have to go to you know e- eternal you know be eternally separated from God or go to go to hell for eternity. Um, because of some stuff that I've done here. So, and let me kick it to you this way. I didn't make this up, but I can't remember where I got it from. So, uh, but basically if, if I was to, and I would never do this, but if I was to shoot a dog, what would happen to me? Uh, depending on, I guess, you know, whose dog it was, I might get a fine. I might go to prison for a couple days or something. Probably not. Um, I mean, if I'd it's pop- John Wick's dog, well, you're then paying I, with then your life. Get, there you go. Um, so let's pretend in this that scenario that's not John Wick's dog, um, you know. But but I would probably have to pay a fine. Ultimately, is probably the the worst thing that would happen to me. Now, if I was to to shoot and kill a person, then I'm probably going to jail for the rest of my life, um, if not for you know at least for a very 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 long time. So we see that the punishment that we incur is dependent upon the the being that we incur our you know the the. That, that we have committed this crime against. And so if we have going back to improperly viewing things like sin, like heaven, like hell, if we have an improper view of God, then we don't see our sin as a direct affront to God. And when we understand God properly, we see that our sin is a, we have committed a crime and we've said this before, cosmic treason, but we've committed cosmic treason against an eternal God. Therefore the punishment is eternal separation. On, in Matthew 5.45, um, that he sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. He's constantly giving us grace and mercy and kindness and compassion and all these good things that we get to enjoy are gifts of God. Yet if we continually reject his gifts, um, eventually he's, he's, you know, he's going to let us 
do the thing that we want to do. You know, he's going to, I think it's essentially letting you go your own way. Um, mm. You know, so it's, it's, Kind of to to wrap it all up, and and Chris, and I'll let you, uh, I'll let you, you know, kind of kind of say your last piece as well before I close it out. But I think it's important that we do a couple things with that kind of the information that we've that we've talked about, because obviously we see that the entire Bible is full of discussions and talks about hell, and not just hell as this kind of obscure concept, but hell as a physical reality. Um, what that should cause us to do is one, we should be in a state of as a believer, a state of of continual just gratitude uh, to God for his unmerited favor and his grace that he has lavished upon us. Um, Isaiah 53, four through six says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, for the believer, it should cause you to fall on your face and just thank God daily for the gift of grace and, and mercy that he has lavished on us undeservedly. That's the key. We have to understand that we do not deserve eternity with Christ, but it's because of his love that we can experience that. Um, for the the non-believer, for somebody who is either questioning or somebody who is completely opposed to anything we've talked about today, I think you would agree that it's at least serious enough to consider, um, to take the time to, if you're going to reject this, at least know what you're rejecting. Um, the Bible, like I said, is is full of, of not these obscure ideas or notions, not these, you know, kind of, you know, mystical thought. It's, it's truly, it's a physical reality. And as I said before, what I believe, what you believe, what we believe doesn't really matter. Truth is truth. Objective truth is is truth. So if you believe that there isn't a hell, that doesn't mean there is, that there isn't a hell. If you believe that there is a hell, but that you're good enough to not go there, that doesn't mean that you are not going to go there. Um, so I, I think that's kind of kind of it that I that I have on that, really. Yeah, for sure. And kind of to go off of that, I don't I think it's just so important that people realize like our beliefs don't dictate reality as badly as we want them to. And there's a term for that. Um, it's an OCD term, which I've experienced myself as someone with OCD. You're, you give your thoughts way more, um, your thoughts and kind of your beliefs way more weight than they actually um, hold. And, and some people do this to the point where it literally morphs their reality. So they're living a delusion. But um, a couple of things I have in closing – there was a challenge that um, I don't I don't know that guy's name, so I'll just call him Mr. Turk. I don't know his name, um, but there was a challenge that he gave. He said, "Maybe my theory's right, maybe your theory's right," and then he kind of snickered and said, "Good luck, you know, proving that." And if you're watching that, and you're skeptic. You're probably like, "Yeah, I don't know. It seems a little far fetched." You know, heaven, hell, angels, demons, raising from the dead, all that seems a little bit far fetched. That doesn't happen today, after all. So I don't know. But I would actually encourage you to take them up on the challenge. See which worldview makes um, not not even just more sense, but see which one has more evidence. You know, I, I'd ask the question to Mister Turk again. I know that's not his name. I'm just going to call him that. Is there any evidence to support that nothing happens after we die? Is there any evidence that we're all just floating stardust and all of the processes, you know, he talked about we're the ones providing truth and science and math. But my question would be, did all those things just come about from random chance? 
because you, I mean, science, the science that he loves so much would even say that that's an impossibility. The, the laws of the world, the fact that we exist, the fact that we're here sitting in a, you know, in offices, um, four and a half hours apart, we're sitting here talking, none of the, we would be insane to say this is all a result of random chance. So I would actually take Mr. Turk up on his offer, challenge yourself to see if you're a skeptic or maybe an unbeliever at this point, or maybe you're unsure, take him up on that. See which one makes more sense. See which theory, and one of them is not a theory, by the way. It's a objective reality that you'll come to find if you actually seek it. Um, and I know, too, we didn't really super talk about total depravity a lot in this episode. Um, I know we touched on it here and there, but I want to give one quote that I really think summarizes it well, and it's from Jonathan Edwards. He says, uh, the only thing and I'm paraphrasing, but the only thing that you contributed to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. And hopefully in the future, we'll talk more about things like total depravity. But I think the kind of you know punchline here for this episode is that total depravity and hell are two essential Christian doctrines. Without total depravity and without hell, you have no gospel, you have no savior, you have no religion, right? So that's kind of those are my closing thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And and I would say too, uh, echoing something that that you said earlier to to Mr. Turk, um, is in terms of evidence, I mean, he you know, he talked about you know, going and having fun and and all these things. Chris, just like you said, look around at the world. Are y'all having fun? You know, I mean, I think that's that's kind of the the crux of it. Um, so that's really it for today, guys. Obviously, you know, this is a, a heavy topic. If you have any questions, any comments, anything that you would like to discuss, or you know, maybe get more of our thoughts on something that we didn't cover, uh, feel free to DM us on Instagram at Lion Lion Podcast. Uh, go ahead and follow us there as well. And if you have any um, ideas for future episodes, that would greatly help us make our jobs easier. We'd love to uh, consider those things. Send those to Lion Lion Podcast. Um, as always, feel free to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, subscribe on YouTube as well. I think you, uh, if you've watched the last episode on Spotify, um, you'll notice I said watched because now our uh, we have the capability of posting our videos there as well. So hopefully that'll help for those who don't want to take it to YouTube, but maybe they're a Spotify. Maybe these uh, these response videos will uh, have a bit more color if you're watching them um, rather than just listening to to them. So you can do that on Spotify as well. Leave a review. Um, comment, share with your friends and family as that really helps the podcast grow. Until next time, guys, keep growing in knowledge to the glory of God. See you then.